0: Was, uh, you know, told us about the first time that, that Moses and Aaron went to visit Pharaoh. God, uh, Pharaoh said something interesting. He said, he said, this is going to be interesting operating this machinery. He said, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh said, I do not know the Lord. Who is this Lord? It was the worst question he could have asked because God, over the course of these plagues, is going to demonstrate, plain and simple, who is the Lord. God is going to answer those questions. So God answers with 10 plagues, 10 judgments, 10 wonders that reveal who he is. And so we're going to, we're not going to actually go through each plague individually because we'd be here all morning. But I'm going to cover, I'm going to skim across and we're going to learn nine things from the nine plagues that tell us who God is. Shouldn't end a sentence with a preposition, but I couldn't figure out a better way to say it. So... um, Yeah, we're gonna try and move lightning fast through this, so you're gonna have to keep up. So if you wanna write down those nine things, you're gonna have to be on the ball as we just, as we power through these nine things. So let's just pray briefly. Heavenly Father, we have come and we've heard your word this morning, uh, we've heard it read, we've heard this huge chunk of scripture, where we hear this story, this tension building. We pray, Lord, that as we look at this scripture and we think about you and your character, please impress uh, your Your nature on us. And please, Please show us, reveal yourself to us and work in our hearts by your spirit this morning, we pray. Amen. So we're going to catch these nine things so that you may know who is the Lord. So the first thing, God speaks, stuff happens. That is a huge theme in this passage. I thought, I'm thought i sure you heard it. Every new cycle that came up, God said, it starts with, and the Lord said to Moses. Every time, the Lord said. Within the ongoing cycles, there's continued theme of God speaking. And Moses repeats the word of God as a prophet. And they come to pass. The stuff that God says through Moses happens. It takes place. Just like in the beginning. Remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. He said, let there be light. And there was. When God speaks, stuff happens. When he says he'll bring a plague, it happens exactly as God said. And this is in direct opposition to to Pharaoh. Do you remember when we were reading? Every time when, when Pharaoh was kind of feeling the effects of the plague, he would call Moses and Aaron in and he'd say, look, I give up, I will let you go. And then he'd turn around and say, no, I won't let you go. So Moses So Pharaoh's words can't be trusted. You know, Pharaoh, who's supposedly one of the most powerful blokes in the land, you can't trust his word from one moment to the next. It's one moment, I'll let you go. Oh, no, I won't let you go. His words aren't trustworthy, but God's words are trustworthy. And I'm sure we've got those people, our friends in our life that we know, where they say, where we we just we just learn not to listen to them because they say one thing and they never follow through. We go, "Oh yeah, I'll believe it when I see it." And that's how it is with Pharaoh. He he doesn't follow through, but when God speaks, things happen. And for the Israelites then, and for our church now, we can look at God's words and we can trust them. He said, "All who trust in Jesus will be saved." He said, that you can put your trust and faith in Jesus and you will be saved. And we can trust God at his word. Secondly, we see that God defeats opposition. There are three main groups in these passages that we've looked at who get defeated. We had the magicians. The magicians, when Moses and Aaron turn up on the scene, they're creating, uh, they're, they're throwing down their rod and it's turning into a snake. And then the magicians are able to mimic that and they throw down their rod as well and it turns into a snake. And Moses and Aaron might be wondering, oh, maybe maybe their gods are just as powerful as our gods. But God immediately quells that idea and their rod eats the other rods, the other snakes. God demonstrates his power there. But then a little bit later, the magicians are able to turn water into blood. And you go, oh, maybe they've got powers too. And they're able to make frogs come up out of the Nile during the plague of the frogs. But interestingly, they're only adding to the problem. They're not taking away the blood. They're not taking away frogs. They're only adding and contributing to the problem. But who does Moses, who does Pharaoh have to go to to get the problem taken away? He has to go to Moses, the prophet of God, to get the problem sorted out. The magicians were useless. And in fact, they could only, they could only go three rounds before they were, they had to tap out. They could only, they could only do three signs before they were like, nah, we can't handle it anymore. This is the finger of God. They said it with their own mouth. This is the finger of God. Next, we see that um, God defeats the gods of Egypt. uh, If you go through and you do a bit of reading, you'll find that people have have gone through and they've said, look, each of these plagues actually lines up with some of the gods of Egypt. And so in each plague, God is uh, showing his power over the gods of Egypt. For instance, um, they've got the the river god. The Nile was a huge thing in um, uh in Egypt because the Nile brought them water and 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 helped them to uh, grow their crops and they fished out of it and they used it for a water source and they had a god that they attributed to the Nile who was in control of the Nile but then God turns it blood red and makes a source of life for them into a source of death and also there's the sun god Ra who who they the, who they attributed the sun to and what did God do? He turned out the lights for three days, but not just for everyone. The Israelites had light, but not the Egyptians. God was showing His power that He was He was more powerful than anything that um, than the Egyptians worshipped. But on top of that, God demonstrates His power over the God man Pharaoh, the supposed God man Pharaoh. Uh, it, It's not uncommon in those ancient contexts for the the emperor or the king to be considered kind of quasi-divine. You know, somebody who's who's appointed by the gods or who has special kind of powers and privileges. I mean, to the common man, Pharaoh had so much power and authority in the land that he, he was otherworldly. God defeats him. God overthrows him. You see that across the, across the story. You know, first he starts off and he says, you know, I, you know, I'm Pharaoh, I won't let you go. He thinks he's got the, the divine authority and the power. But then he has to admit, no, I don't have the power. I've got to get Moses to take the problem away. And then, you know, he starts this kind of, this descending, uh, uh, concessions. You know, first he says, oh, you can worship God, but just do it, just do it here. You don't need to go anywhere else. And then, he has another concession. Oh, well, maybe the men can go, but leave the women and children behind. And then another concession. Oh, everybody can go, but make sure you leave your livestock behind. So God is chipping away and showing his authority over Pharaoh. He has to keep humbling himself and saying, actually, I'm not the one who's in control here. I, 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 I don't get a say. But you know, nothing's changed since that time. God, God still defeats. His opposition. God's still defeating his opposition now. Uh, God opposes the proud and he lifts up the humble. God defeats his enemies. And we trust that God overthrows the opposition that we face now, Satan, sin and death. God is destroying them. And given God's track record of being able to destroy Satan, sin and death, and, you know, overthrow the powers of Egypt and anybody else who stood in his way, we can trust him. And he he defeats his enemies through the God-man Jesus Christ, the real God-man, not the fake God-man Pharaoh, no fake God-man like the emperors of Rome or anybody else. He is the real divine man, God incarnate. Jesus is the Son of God, the Word of God, and he is our divine king who cannot be overthrown. There's no way that another power or another person can come up against Christ and come out uh standing on the other side number 3 are you keeping up god is unique now i know that we probably all you know wouldn't even question if god is unique but if we were to um, if we were to sit in the in the, the lives of the ancient israelites you know they're surrounded by other religious stuff they're surrounded by the the stories of the other gods of egypt they have been in slavery for four hundred years, and they're probably wondering where their God is. But God needs to show Himself. God needs to reveal Himself so that people may know who He is. The God of Israel rises above all of the other gods, and we saw that in the way that He defeats the other gods in their in their uh, in their areas of specialty, like the Nile and, and the darkness. The Lord was not even comparable to the other Egyptians, gods, or anyone else for that matter. He wasn't merely a local deity or a God particular to the ethnic people of Israel. He was and is the Lord. He is separate. He is the God of heaven and earth, the God of the heavenly host. Nobody should ever be able to confuse the Lord with anybody or anything else. In fact, he says it in... Moses says it to Pharaoh, he says, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like our God. Our God is set apart. God demonstrated his power in this way to show that there was no one else like him. Nobody could do the wonders he did. No one could bring out the the plagues like he did. No one can truly challenge God. And even in, even in, you know, the cultural, uh, you know, thinking about God, God is often opposed to Satan. You've got Satan versus God. But Satan is nothing in comparison to him. Nothing like God. It's almost like, it's almost like, uh, when Queensland plays New South Wales in The Origin. Like, sometimes it seems like there's gonna be a contest, but then they just get wiped out. When you consider God, (laughs) when you consider God and the religions getting around today like Islam or anybody else who wants to put their, pit their God against ours, remember that there is no one like our God. Our God stands alone. He is separate and he will not stand being falsely aligned with anybody else. Next we see that God is all powerful. God says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God says it right there. I have raised Pharaoh up so that I may show my power. God illustrates his power so clearly in these plagues. As we've seen, he has power over everything. He's not a God confined to the work in the realm of the river only or, 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 or over the animals, but over everything, including the river, the animals, the weather patterns, human illnesses and it's not just broad brush power either he he applies his judgment selectively to these areas and not to the Egyptians not to the Israelites God could have just wiped Pharaoh and his subjects from the map but God lets him live on in rebellion so that he can display his mighty works and show himself as all powerful Uh, at this point it might be worth reflecting for a moment on the plagues Uh, some people will argue that the plagues are all natural disasters so like for instance when the when the river turns red that there's sediment upstream and there's a lot of rain upstream and so it washes red sediment down and makes the river turn red and the frogs all kind of come out of the river because of the problems with the river and so that's where the plague of frogs comes from and then you move on to and then the livestock die and then people get boils because of and so they kind of try and line all these things up as interlinked and the darkness is, is simply a dust storm that lasts for three days and blocks out the sun. Now, I don't mind which way you go. Like, if the, the way to think about it is either that these are natural disasters that God has brought about or they're supernatural disasters as if God has, like, conjured them up out of thin air like he is able to do with anything. Now, I don't mind which one you kind of, you want to f- fly with but, as long as you attribute these things to god 's hands, as long as you 're not saying that these aren 't divine acts, as long as you 're trying to take not trying to take God out of the picture, because God created the world to run in a certain way, and so he has every right to use those natural disasters in such a way as to um, as to bring these plagues and these things upon Egypt, but I tend to lean on the side that says that these seem to have a more supernatural uh, um, a more supernatural origin. For instance, we have no reason to disbelieve that the river was actually blood. Um, and and when you read the story about the hail, there's in the midst of the hail, there's fire, now, not just lightning, like literally fire. And I don't know about you, but normally ice, you know, blocks of ice falling out of the sky doesn't get associated with fire. We've got this miraculous event with the hail. So we've got God who's all-powerful and he's bringing creation to bear on these. Whether whether you think of them as natural disasters or supernatural disasters, they are from the hand of God against the Egyptians. Next we see that God owns everything. Moses uh, said to Pharaoh in 9.29, The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. God owns everything. He created it. He keeps it all alive and the world's spinning. But Pharaoh thought that he owned Egypt. He thought that he had the right to keep the Egyptians, so the, um, the Israelites uh, enslaved. But God showed him how wrong he was. God showed Egypt and Israel that God owns everything. And that goes for you too. You should know that God owns all your stuff. God owns your body. God owns your house. You are merely stewards of it in this life. Next we see that God reveals himself. Number six, one of the nine things that the nine plagues teaches us is that God is a God that reveals himself. He's not distant and separate from us, who we can just kind of vaguely conceive. He actually reveals his nature and his character to us. And God specifically told Moses uh, the reason for the plagues in 10 verses 1 and 2. Go to Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. It's a revelatory purpose there. And there's amazing things to consider here, that the infinite, almighty, powerful God would actually reveal himself to us. It's something that is already amazing. God has found a way to portray himself to us. But not only through these mighty acts, in the later days we see that God has revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus, who is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus says that if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus is the imprint of God and so we can look to him as well to see the nature of God. To see Jesus, to know Jesus is to know the Father and this is something to be celebrated. Next we see that, that God teaches. As an onflow from the fact that God reveals himself, he also teaches, he, he teaches us by revealing himself to us. He doesn't just show himself to us and leave us to kind of figure out what it means. He actually teaches us what it means. And we see that in the way that he brought about the plagues. And he tells us that this is a teaching thing. In, In Exodus, again, chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, in the middle there, it says that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians. So God sends these plagues as an example of what he is like so that people may see his power and that it can be passed on from generation to generation and people can reflect back on who God is by this story. Like we are doing right now. We are thinking about who God is and what he is like through this story right now. It has a teaching purpose. But you know that... Yeah, As we follow the pattern of the Hebrews of old, we, we need to teach our kids and, and we need to teach each other about how the way that God has acted in history. And, and through these events, we also anticipate what, what will come and how God will finish things off in history. Number eight, the tough one. God hardens hearts. This is one of those harder things to learn from the passage because this doesn't really sit well with us. You know, this this kind of rubs us up the wrong way. You know, we don't like the idea that God can and does affect the disposition of people's hearts. I mean, we've been conditioned in our culture to think of ourselves as completely independent beings who aren't constrained by anyone or even anything. Yet, you know, when we start thinking about our society and about different people we know, we know that we are affected by our our surroundings. A simple journey through a psychology textbook will show us how our character and our disposition and our tendencies are affected by our environment and our genetics. We know it already. We just don't like to think about the fact that God uses those things to change us. If our environment and our parents can affect our beliefs and dispositions, how much more can God through his divine control over the universe, affect our hearts. But when it came to Pharaoh, God hardened his heart so that God could use him for a greater purpose. And God uses our natural circumstances to shape our heart. For Pharaoh, and for all of us that matter, our natural inclination is is actually to run away in sin and to rebel against God. And God continued that natural progression of hardening his heart. But God used that hardened heart to illustrate his divine character and his arm of salvation to Egypt. So this passage leaves us in no doubt of two things. First, that Pharaoh was active in hardening his own heart. And secondly, that God was active in hardening the heart. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart was repeated in every single cycle that we read. And it was repeated before and prophesied before um, Moses even came to Egypt, God said that it would happen. And the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is a huge theme in this story. Now, I want you to think through this, this carefully. It's one of those, those deeper matters that, that, that Christians have historically understood different ways. But at Eastgate, we are unashamedly reformed. And so we take the plain meaning of this text that God acted to harden Pharaoh's heart, even while Pharaoh hardened his own heart and remained responsible for his actions. Pharaoh knew what he was doing. But but the flip side, of course, is that God softens hearts as well. And that's what we need. We naturally have hard hearts. We naturally rebel against God in sin. And we need the spirit of God to enter into us and to soften our hearts towards God. We're naturally rebellious and we need God's work in us to shape us to his will. Shape our affections to be godly attitudes and intentions, so it can be hard and it can be uncomfortable to deal with this text. It can be a hard pill to swallow, but if you 're kind of wrestling through this, come and talk to us don 't just sit there and uh, in your doubts come and come and talk to us. Um, Ray and Steve and I will happily. Chat about these things. We, we will not be surprised if you are, if you struggle with the idea that God hardens hearts. Number nine, last one. Of the nine things that the nine plagues teach us about God is that God requires obedience. God purposes, God opposes the proud but lifts up the humble. Those that hear God's word and respond in faith receive life. We see in the plagues here that God won't accept the half hearted attempts of Pharaoh to follow through. You know, oh you know, the men can go. Or I'll oh, take the men and the women and the children, but but leave your stock behind. No, God wants total obedience. Let my people go. God didn't accept half hearted obedience with Pharaoh. God didn't accept half-hearted obedience with that bloke in Joshua who who took some of the spoils of war to his own tent. God didn't accept half-hearted obedience from Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. He struck them down. Now, thankfully for us, God uses those as as examples and he doesn't operate that way every day because I, for one, have pretty half-hearted times. But God doesn't want half-hearted obedience. He can't stand it. With God, you're either all in or you're all out. You can't serve two masters. But thankfully, obedience starts very simply. It starts like like the people in the plague of hail. God said, look, if you fear the Lord, take your your livestock inside so they're protected from the hail. And some of the Egyptians who feared the Lord took their livestock inside so it was protected from the hail. That's how our obedience starts. We take refuge in God. We say, I want God's protection. I want to follow God's ways because they lead to life. I want your rescue. But the thing about asking for God's rescue means ditching the identity of Egypt. Asking for God's rescue means leaving the old ways behind. Asking for God's Rescue from slavery means leaving our sin behind. We don't get to wallow in it. We don't get to go back to Egypt. We don't get to go back to our sin. We go and we move towards God. If we truly know the Lord, as this passage instructs us, we will see that God is the only option for our rescue of our souls. As he was the only option for the rescue of Israel. The other persons and powers were inept in comparison. Obedience to God is something to be desired. Obedience to God saves us from wrath, but it's also what is best for us. Did you manage to catch all of those things? I know we've moved pretty fast through them, but you can see these things have been rising up out of the, 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 the text with the plagues. I just want to recap for us, so in case you missed one. God speaks, stuff happens. God defeats opposition. God is unique. God is all-powerful. God owns everything. He reveals himself. God teaches his people. God hardens hearts. And God requires obedience. Now, we've seen these things rising up out of the text, but I'm sure you've seen as we've read through that these things pop up out of these ongoing cycles. And some of them seem really simple, like we know, of course, God. Of course, God is all-powerful. That's why we worship him as God. But we need to be reminded of that and not take it for granted. We need to be reminded of the God whom we worship. And I think that these plagues have done that for us. These plagues have done for us what, what God was doing for Pharaoh, God was illustrating I am the Lord. We we can ask who is the Lord and these plagues answer it for us. Even though this is these are judgments poured out, even in this wrath we can still look and we can see who is the Lord. Let's uh, pray together. heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time we've been able to spend uh you know hearing your word but also looking at some of the at, uh, of the meaning that rises up out of the text um we just thank you lord you know we've we've moved through it so fast, but we just pray Lord that you would impress upon us your you, who you are lord throughout your scriptures you say know the Lord and so we, we pray lord that that you would would show us yourself in this in this text as we've seen this morning we pray lord that we would be able to worship you in obedience and know these things and we pray lord that we might be able to find our refuge in you knowing that the people of god uh, are saved from the wrath against unrighteousness the people of israel were saved um from the effects of the plagues and lord we we look forward uh, to our um, our salvation from the effects of sin and death. Please, Lord, bless us as we go out this week. We pray, Amen.